Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. That's M P L U S, or follow the link in the episode description. I just said, sorry, I'm late. I'm very busy and important, and you two bitches didn't even notice. Well, that's because we are <laughs> we were also in the middle important. of a conversation. Do you know why I'm actually late? <laughs> why? Tell me. I so my dog was coughing this morning, and like she kept coughing and like then vomiting and then eating it. But that's not what this is. So I was like, I think she's got something sh- stuck in her throat. So I'm like, yes. oh my god, I've got such a busy morning. I just had to do a no filter this morning. An amazing conversation with Brian Shelton. One of the best no filters I've done in such a long time. I'm oh, obsessed I, with Can you. I just get some credit because I've been yelling at you. Yes, Ryan I know, Shelton. I know. You did. And, oh, and I just, did I'm ne- now, he's now out there talking to everyone in the content team and I'm everyone's obsessed. in love with him. Yes. Anyway, um, so I was late. I had no time to take my dog to the vet, but I'm like, I think she's choking. She might have a stick stuck in her throat. So I raced her to the vet. The vet said, first of all, the vet said, can you just go outside? And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, COVID, I didn't realise. And she goes, no, 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 there's kennel cough going around. We suspect it's kennel cough and it's very contagious. But and you're I'm not like, going to catch kennel cough. You're no, but dog. other dogs there could, right? So then they had to examine oh. her outside and then they came back and went, she's got kennel cough, she needs to be in ISO for a week. No, my that dog. Is not a thing. And That's- I've got another dog and she was meant to go, like the dog walker was coming and she can't go to dog school and I can't take her to the park and I need a dog mask and what is this fresh hell? She is patient zero. She's yeah, going to be a super spreader. This is yeah, no. this is point number 500 of <laughs> things dogs didn't have. not on my have. bingo card yes, for 2022. The dogs didn't have 30 years ago. No, that's like not true. Dogs- I, I got a dog from the pound and it came with kennel cough. So that, that was a thing that existed. It's a thing, and what? What do they need medicine? Do yes, they need- yes. It's an. It's like it's a. It's a like. It's kind of like bronchitis or something. It's like an infection. So she's on antibiotics. She's got a fever, and she's not allowed to come into contact with any other dogs until she stops coughing and does a rat test. Claire's I, I made dog. that up. Oh. About rat <laughs> until she chews a ra- chews up a she's rat. She's already test done that. Oh my god! <laughs> Claire's dog gave my dog kennel cough a few months ago, and it fractured our. F- like friendship very strongly for it it became very much like you brought your sick dog to my healthy puppy I'm just glad I found out Jesse because your dog often comes over on the weekend with Mm. Luca and we would have sent kennel cough back to your house and you do not need that exactly hello and welcome to mama mia out loud it's what women are talking about on Friday March the 25th my name is Holly Wayne Wright Mia just dropped something put loudly. your phone down for one moment it wasn't my phone it was hand sanitizer you're okay. in a studio alone you don't need hand sanitizer <laughs> I wasn't trying to put it on I just knocked it over who are you oh I'm Mia Friedman sorry <laughs> and I'm Jesse Stevens 
And on the show today, Albo is not woke and goddamn he wants you to know it. And our best and worst of the week, which include books, legs and Jenny Morrison. But first... It's the news nobody saw coming. We left the studio after recording Out Loud on Wednesday to learn that Ash Barty had stunned the world, the tennis world, by announcing her retirement. At the grand old age of 25, she is the number one female tennis player in the world. And she did it in a very interesting way. She sort of staged this interview with her friend, Casey Delacqua, and then put it across her social media channels. Here's a little bit of it. Ash, it's always great to see you. I have a slight inkling. Um, I know why I'm here. Probably don't want to acknowledge it, but why am I here today? Um, yeah, I kind of wasn't quite sure how I was going to do this, but I think so many times in my life, both my professional and my personal, you've been there for me. Um, and I just couldn't think there's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's just my way. And this is perfect for me to share it with you, to talk to you about it, um, with my team, my loved ones that I'll be retiring from tennis. And it's the first time I've actually said it out loud. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I had no idea she was only 25. She won Wimbledon and then she won the Australian Open and now she's going to retire. She hasn't said exactly what she's going to do next. Uh, I also didn't realise that she'd been a cricket star and she also has won golfing tournaments. So certainly the world is She's her such oyster. an underachiever. Like I know. try harder, Ash Barty. And the funny thing about her announcement is that on that same day, just a couple of hours earlier, I'd been listening to Glennon Doyle's podcast, Glennon Doyle, the author and drinking game favourite yes, of this podcast. <laughs> Please drink some water every time we mention Glennon Doyle, otherwise you'll be very drunk. Uh, anyway, she was did an episode this week because she's just turned 46 and she said that she's really thinking of it as half time and how she feels like she's done enough. The intermission right now uh-huh. is a time where the Sela, the holy pause, yeah. we love that word. This is a holy pause in life. Um, the Sela is the, the symbol in holy scripture that appears between scripture when it's a signal to the reader to stop and really take a moment to let the music or the scripture from the previous part sink in right so a holy stela in our lives we consider those moments where things slow down for a minute and you're allowed to actually take a breath and be intentional and by that she means she's exceeded her romantic goals in in meeting and marrying her um, wife abby wombach she's her career expectations have been more than she ever thought. Oprah's making her first book into a movie. Sarah Paulson's starring in in her most recent book. She's written all these bestsellers. Her kids are sort of grown up or they're, they're certainly in their teenage years. And she says, there are some people who are at my stage in their careers who are like, and I bet she's talking about like Brene Brown and Oprah and Elizabeth Gilbert, who are like, I'm just getting started. And she said, I don't feel that way. I feel like 
I've done enough and I've done my best. And I thought that it made me think of Ash Barty, that the, the trajectory we're used to in the narrative in sport is that you keep going until you start getting worse and you start losing. And then when you've lost enough times that you realize you can't ever get back to being number one or it's too hard, you retire. But to retire literally at the top of your game at such a young age is very unexpected. Uh, Jesse, you're our tennis correspondent. Do you have any special insight into this, this decision? This is incredibly transgressive. This very rarely happens in tennis. The only reason it isn't as shocking maybe if this were another tennis player is because Ash Barty did quit before. She's quit tennis before because her heart wasn't in it and she wasn't feeling right and she took a few years off and then she came back and with the help of mindset coach Ben Crow, who you've had on No Filter, uh, she spoke about focusing on the fun and the loving of the game and uh, he talks about the human being rather than the human doing. And you could see even in her Australian Open final recently that she doesn't psych herself out because she is there to play a game that she loves. And the second it wasn't about love anymore, she knew that her own internal compass meant I'm this isn't right for me. And that is seriously brave. If you look at the likes of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, you look at their careers and they're coming to the end. People have been saying this for a while, but those men are coming to the end of their careers. What their bodies go through, you're talking at least once a year, a really serious injury. Nadal plays in quite chronic pain. He has a number of sort of health issues and you've got to be pretty determined and pretty ambitious and turn parts of your brain off in order to push through that. And you know what? I look at those men and I have an enormous amount of respect for what they do. And I just go, I cannot believe that every time Nadal gets on a tennis court, it hurts. The swing hurts, the standing hurts, his knees hurt. Good on him. He must love that game. But equally, good on Ash Barty. I felt more happy than sad reading this news because I thought this is a woman, this is a definition of empowerment. It is a bit of a finger up to hustle culture and saying, I don't have to try and try and try until I have nothing left in the tank. This is what you talk about, Mia, in terms of the ladder and the lattice approach. The ladder approach to tennis is that this was, experts would say, Ash Barty hadn't even reached her peak yet. She could have gone years and years winning more and more Grand Slams and breaking every record. That was the ladder. That was predetermined for her. That's what the culture assumed she would do. But instead she's gone... I can do, I can do anything. And I think she'll end up doing an enormous amount of charity work. I think she will be an incredible activist in the Indigenous community. And we're going to see a lot from Ash Barty and she's going to do incredible things outside of tennis. The idea that it's a finger up to hustle culture is really interesting. The day after this announcement, I had um, commercial breakfast telly on while I was getting ready um, to go to work. And there was a lot of, you know, it was every break. It was every single break on that show was some different spin on what Ash, why Ash Barty had quit and everybody's very upset about it or very pleased for her because she's beloved. Like nobody's criticising this decision. But I think one of the Sunrise hosts was saying, is this about this new generation and their obsession with work-life balance? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it exactly. is. Exactly. So this is really interesting, right? Because... 
I think that's a lens to look at this through. And I loved your newsletter, Mia, immediately pulling it together with Glennon's um, idea about I've got enough. Because mm. I, for a start, I severely doubt that Ash Barty, she's, she's only said she's retiring from tennis. She has not said she's retiring. You know what I mean? Like, yes. That's yeah. it. I'm going to spend the rest of my life. On um, holiday. On holiday. That is not what's going to happen. I'm sure she's going to hustle. I'm sure there's a lot of hustle left in Ash Barty. And we also know that sports people like to retire and come back and retire and come back, as we've seen many times, like in the interview you did with Jeff Hugel, Mia, for No Filter the other week. Um, but I think it, what fascinates me about it is how much is enough. Because as you say, Jesse, we are not used to seeing successful people going, I wanted to do this thing. And I did this thing, so now I'm going to stop doing that thing. Like that's not that's not how we ever see things. And I don't think that there's a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it because when I was listening to Glennon Doyle talking about, because Mia told me to, so I did, I went and listened, and she was talking about how she feels like she wants to stop pushing the age she's at. And I was thinking, well, there are some very obvious reasons why that's not a choice that's open to everybody. There are a lot of women who get to their mid-40s, 50s, and they've still got to keep pushing for a shitload more years yet because they've got to earn money Mm. and they've got to look after people and they've got to pay bills and all those things. And those people often still want their work to be interesting and challenging and all that stuff. So they're going to, that involves a level of hustle that they've got to keep up. So I don't think there's a right, wrong in this, but what Barty's given us is a gift of choice, like a choice of different ways to see success. If you want to step away at the point that makes you happy, then that's great. If you also want to be Nadal, why should you give up playing a game you love? Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. I am busting to talk about the front page of the Daily Telegraph this week that came with an image of opposition leader Anthony Albanese and a taste of what they termed a rapid fire round. So the questions included things like, can men have babies? To which he answered, no. Captain Cook, hero or zero? And he answered, world changer. And does Australia need to spend more or less on defence? To which he answered, more. The article itself was written by Joe Hildebrand, which was an interesting choice in and of itself. It came with the headline, I am not woke. And the word not had a big red underline under it. Of course, Anthony Albanese himself didn't write that headline, but I'm really interested. I don't think he even said the words, actually. I read, I went back and combed through it and he didn't say those words. He didn't. I've been searching, but... And that's, that's an interesting point. But the first sentence of the article reads, Anthony Albanese has declared that Labor will be the party of mainstream Australia, not the woke left and a friend to business and aspirational Australians. And it was interesting for a number of reasons. Being woke is likely actually a criticism that's being waged at 
Albanese in some circles because of his policies on Indigenous issues, women in cabinet and climate change. And the word woke, what it actually means when you look it up is being alert to injustice in society, especially racism. So it's an interesting term for any politician to reject. And it's worth noting that that the word itself has been appropriated from black culture, which was very much an important sort of pillar of the Black Lives Matter movement. And really, it's about racism, but it has been appropriated and it means something different now. And I want to look at what it means now. Isn't it the new way of saying political correctness? It definitely is. As a pejorative term. Yes. And as I think that it's been seen as synonymous with elitism, intellectualism, uh, kind of these philosophical arguments that don't actually matter, calling each other out, cancel culture, all of that. And interestingly, when Morrison was asked about Albanese's comments, he said, I don't have to do interviews running around telling people that I'm not woke. Because nobody suspects he might be. Exactly. It's an unwoke (laughs) off. Everyone's like outdoing themselves to, you know, competitive unwokeness. Worst thing you can be apparently, being woke. I get that though. I get why it is. Tell me, tell me why it is. Why is woke the worst thing a prime minister can be? It's the worst thing a prime minister can be except to the people on the very far left. And I'm going to say the Twitter left, who are sort of a species of left that are extreme and very vocal and very, very woke. And I think when when Scott Morrison talks about the quiet Australians, mm. and I know that's the, there's a lot of uh, negativity around that and I understand why because it's like saying anyone who doesn't, doesn't object to something and doesn't make a fuss is supposedly good. But I think what it also means is that there's a lot of people in the middle, the the far right are really noisy and the far left, who I would describe as woke, are very noisy. But there are a lot of people in the middle, and I would include myself in that, who aren't noisy because they know if they just are quiet, they won't be attacked by the left or the right. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that the reason that Scott Morrison doesn't have to go around saying he's woke is because no no one ever thinks he is. That's that's an accusation that will never be made of him. But what a lot of people in the middle worry about when it comes to a, a Labor leader is that they will pull Australia too far to the left and that that will be bad for the economy because that's, that's what it's code and for. And the short, yeah, the code for that is woke. Can I go on the record here as saying that the question, Captain Cook, oh. hero or zero, is the most fucking ridiculous question. Sorry for swearing. I Captain- think it was all, there were all wedges though, Hol. No, Surely you saw that. Were. that no, every I, question was a wedge. Yeah, I don't, so don't think for a minute I can't see what he's trying to do. Oh. But that is ridiculous. And Albo's answer, which was world changer, was the correct one. And it didn't come with an endorsement. You know what I mean? He didn't say, because then if you go and read the coverage of this Mm. from people who are really upset about Albo talking, like rejecting wokeness, they're like, he thinks Captain Cook is a hero and he's supporting colonialism. Not accurate, everybody. So first of all, deep breath and like, let's recognize the beat up that this was. So, but Mia's absolutely right. To get elected Albo has to convince a certain amount of people that he is not who they think he is. And who they mm. think he is and who the the right are trying to paint him as is, as Mark Latham says, woke on steroids. So Mark Latham says about him, 
Albo is as woke as it comes. He has a sneering inner city leftist view of working people and has held his inner city Sydney seat by running as the real greenie, right? So that is what Albo has to play against. And what we're seeing in action here, and again, I want to point out how much Albo did not say I'm not woke and all those things, but the reason he did an interview with the Daily Telegraph, the reason he did it with Joe Hildebrand, is because the people he has to convince, as Mia says, about him not being woke are people that Labour need to win the election. And there's a strategic decision here that it's better to piss off the woke people than it is to piss off the quiet Australians because the woke people are never going to vote for the coalition anyway if their hair is on fire and Morrison is, in the unlikely event, holding a hose. They are never, ever going to vote for him. So the Labour Party and Albo makes a decision that, right, I know that we're going to get a few angry opinions written about us rejecting wokeness. And as far as today, I've read about three pieces in sort of left-leaning publications and a really funny and and pointed cartoon in The Guardian that are all saying, like, this is disgraceful. Why is he turning his back on wokeness? But it's just strategy. And I think that you're right, Mia, that for a certain section of the population, woke has become an insult and Albo has mm. to convince them that he's not that. It's annoying that trans issues got thrown into a discussion about wokeness and reduced to a single syllable Mm. answer. Mm. If I was a trans person, that'd piss me off. Captain Cook as well, as though that can at all be answered in in a word. I know, like, hero or zero. It's, it's terrible. I think members of the LGBTQI community feel a bit sacrificed in that to go, I'm not woke. Look, I reject these people, which isn't, I don't think, what mm. he was really doing, but that's how it looks. And so I think it's... Can you explain what you mean, Jesse, by people who don't really understand how he was critical of trans people? Look, and I think that the word, I've thought so much about this word, can men have babies? And it's about the difference between your sex and your gender. And that term was very purposefully used because it made it look like no man who identifies as a man can ever have a baby. And that's just... So the point being that trans men who still have their uh, reproductive organs intact can actually be pregnant and give birth as evidenced by the fact that there are a whole lot of new emojis that are going to come out shortly, going to be released, and among them are pregnant man emojis. Exactly. And the thing is, and this is what I think trans people get so pissed off about, is that, like, this is it's just... It, it's it's a bit of a yeah, dog exactly. whistle. And it's oh, symbolic yeah. and it's, it's just annoying to use people's lives and identity and just make it all about yeah. So that just really is just very, very annoying. But I think that this is also corrective in that the reason that Bill Shorten lost the last election has widely been considered because he ignored the working class and he kind of marginalised those quiet Australians. People saw him as that very lefty, very specific set of poli- like politics. Because well, he come, his background is union. Exactly, exactly right. His background and is And that unions, didn't work yeah. for Labor. So they've got to do something corrective. Mm. We've also seen Anthony Albanese this week on Kyle and Jackie O. Fascinating interview. I had to go and listen to it because Kyle and Jackie O are both on the record saying they'll be voting for ScoMo. And yeah. Really? Re- for, sure. for, for what reason? That's so interesting. Um, we think he's fine. We think As he's if fine. they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, right. and I, I think, think they represent probably a large portion of the country. So 
that was one yeah. of, I reckon, Anthony Albanese's most important interviews, sitting there with Kyle and Jackie O and going, here's what I care mm. about, what Scott Morrison did wasn't good enough. But the dangerous thing here is because the way that Scott Morrison and Labor's opponents are trying to screw Albo is by saying he's being fake. Mm-hmm. And really by doing that front page, I mean, and again, he didn't necessarily agree to that front page, but that gives them ammunition because I'm sorry, people, but Albo is woke. Like he might not consider himself woke with the label woke, but he's woke in the way that my parents are woke, right? They don't understand wokeness. They There are lots of things about woke issues that piss them off and they don't understand and they're like, why are we talking about that? It's not important. But at the bottom of it, they are instinctively woke. They are anti-discrimination. They are champions for equality. They are anti-racist. You know, so Albo is woke. He might not want to call himself that and Mm. it may end up getting himself into Mm. more trouble trying to distance himself from a word that, depending on where you sit, is either a good thing or a bad thing. We have an election survey on Mamma Mia that we would love um, our listeners to fill out. We have a link in the show notes. And basically we want to know what you care about. We want to know um, how best to cover this election coming up. We've got a lot of content, a lot of podcasts. So please fill it out. It is in the show notes. Now, don't forget that Mamma Mia subscribers get access to Out Loud five days a week. And on yesterday's subscriber segment, (laughs) Mia and I talked about what we were like as teenagers. Uh, And uh, hold on to your hair. Here's a little bit of it. To me, (laughs) little brat that I was, I was like, I don't care. I'm not interested in going to university. I don't want to do well. I'm not academic. That was always my thing. I'm not academic. So I was a naughty teenager and I did not do very well in my exams at all. And I found another way to get to where I wanted to go, as you were saying, Ginny, because I always knew I wanted to be, well, I thought I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a journalist and a writer. And indeed, I am those things, zigzag path to get there. But I was that teenager who snuck out. And I spoke about how um, when I was a teenager, I dated a guy who was in his early 30s and lived in London. (laughs) To find out more, uh, you can head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M plus, that's M-P-L-U-S, or follow the link in the show notes. It's time for our best and worst moments of the week. And mine are political, but also reproductive because it was announced today that a record $58 million is going to be spent on establishing specialist endometriosis and pelvic pain clinics in every Australian state and territory. And this is a move that experts say will drastically slash costs for patients. So it's coming in the 2022 federal budget and these clinics are going to support over 800,000 Australian women who have been diagnosed with the disease. Endo impacts around one in nine Australian women and girls, and it can often take years to get a diagnosis because symptoms can be really, really individual. And often with period pain, it can be like, hey, just suck it up. Mm. That's just what you have to live with. It can be quite invasive as well to get a diagnosis. And it's just not enough money has been invested in women's health and there's not been enough development in order for women to get the diagnoses that they need. And then the help and support to live with what is essentially a chronic illness. 
And I'd like to give a special shout out to my cousin, Syl Friedman, and my aunt, Leslie Friedman, who have been working tirelessly with the charity that they started called Endoactive uh, to advocate for more funding for endometriosis. But my worst is about this same story because the front page of the newspaper today and on all the breakfast TV shows in conjunction with this announcement is Jenny Morrison who has endo herself and here's a little bit about what she said. I I suffered from endometriosis, still do obviously. I was 26 before I was diagnosed so like way back you know when I started my periods and everything in year eight you know I I had pain and and then that would get worse and worse nothing helped and then it, it got really severe so People with endometriosis, it's not just like um, a few cramps or something like that. It's actually really debilitating. I didn't take time off school. I don't know how I did it. You know how? Girls are tough. Yeah, girls are tough. We're so tough. We do stuff and we just keep going and going. But it wasn't until I was 26 and I'd been trying um, for a couple of years and just wasn't happening. Yeah, I was sent for a laparoscopy and I was, um, yeah, they found extensive endometriosis. That was Jenny Morrison on the Today Show this morning and she talked about her 17-year struggle to conceive. Now, the reason this is my worst, and certainly Jenny speaking out about that, I actually thought that was yeah. great yeah, that too. she spoke. You know, really to good. have uh, uh, the partner of a prime minister speaking so candidly about something that affects so many women. And about and periods and things on breakfast yes, television. Like, that's progress. Yes, yes, progress, right? So I should have said that part was my best. My worst was the part that in the announcement about it, Scott Morrison said, I've learned so much about endometriosis. It's such an issue because Jenny's experienced it. And... What struck me about that was that Scott Morrison seems to have no empathy or understanding about any issue affecting women unless Jenny has experienced it. (laughs) And I don't want to pick holes in something that's ultimately positive, but I mean this to be true because anything that Jenny doesn't seem to experience, like domestic violence, sexual assault, working outside the home, being in a flood... Um, you know, sexual discrimination or sexual harassment, paid needing paid parental leave, he has no clue about it and is not interested in it, in it. So it's almost like he's not interested in the lives of any of the women around him. Jenny has to be the avatar for all females mm. in the world. Like when and we saw this with, with Brittany Higgins' rape allegations, he spoke to Jenny to find out how he should feel about it. And Jenny told him this. And, you know, Jenny's not a refugee. Jenny's not trans. Jenny's not gay. So therefore, he has no empathy and no real care to, to understand the struggles facing those those people who, who aren't experiencing mm, things that Jenny agreed. has. Okay, my worst is that I realised the other day, so with my frustration, well, my worst, and I think I get to have this for a few weeks, my leg is still broken. So last <laughs> week was a broken leg. I'm bored. I'm bored. Like, I'm bored of yes, the leg. well, and that is my worst. Move on. Is that people are bored of my leg, but it appears to still be broken. And every morning I wake up. I believe it's still broken. And I try and get out of bed and I think, everyone's sick of my leg. I can see that I ask my family for things and they're like, oh, it's been two weeks. Like, can't you? My brother keeps saying, like, can't you walk yet? It's really annoying. 
And (laughs) what's annoying is that I was sitting on the lounge the other day and I was like, I already learnt this lesson. This lesson about like, oh, slow down, (laughs) sit inside. Like, what can you do from your couch inside the four walls (laughs) of your home? I've been there, done that two years. Like, life keeps trying to teach me the same Mm. lessons and it's very irritating. (laughs) So that's my worst because I I get it. I don't need to learn any more about Mm. resilience or patience. Done. Tick. Anyway, Mm. my best, I have two quick bests. The first, loving loving recovery, Um, loving the out louders who are sending me just lots of encouragement. I can now lift my leg off the couch. It's a great See, day. I saw that this morning, Jessie. Sorry, I saw you posting on your social that you could lift your leg up and uh, just in touching on what your worst was before. I was like, oh, there you go. She's better. It's fine. Yeah, we can all same. move on now. Like, that's a <laughs> poor thing. I must be so annoying. Exactly. And I'm, I'm really <laughs> in, enjoying that. Um, yeah, feeling lots more like myself. It's great. My other best is a... A post I saw by Adam Grant this week, who Mia, what happened to be your guest on No Filter, and I saw this shared widely and I love it. It's, he wrote, the untold story of 2021 is that people became kinder. Global rates of helping strangers, volunteering and giving to charity are nearly 25% above pre-pandemic levels. The dominant response to suffering is not selfishness, it's compassion. The worst of times bring out the best in us. I needed to read that. We have not mm. heard enough about it. And we know yes. anecdotally that it's true. People are good and they do good things. And if that's the the silver lining, then I'm here for it. Love that. And you know how I know that? Holly and I came to your house to visit <laughs> yep. you for the first time since your accident. Yep this week and we ordered Uber yep. Eats and sat on the floor because you selfishly hadn't made no. us dinner <laughs> and because apparently your leg's still broken and uh, the Uber Eats came and my pizza wasn't among the no. food. Only yours and mm-hmm. Holly's food came and you both gave me half of your meals. Yeah. So I got a whole meal and you each got half a meal and I thought that was very <laughs> that is good. We should get some kind me. of medal for that, that level of kind. kindness, Jesse. I know. I agree. And I also think that Mia's interest in my broken leg has really peaked with her discovery <laughs> yes. that a broken leg requires accessories. So Mia's <laughs> like, I can buy mm-hmm. things. So she's been online being like, I'm yeah. going to buy you a special table. I'm going to like <laughs> yeah. next week Mia will have a broken leg because of all the things you get to buy. It's very fun. Yeah, I'm like all the ergonomic things that can make Jesse's life a bit easier. Yes, it's Mia's project. Um, yeah, and Luca keeps trying to throw them out and calling them clutter. So <laughs> we're, we're waged in a war. So my worst is a very heavy one today. I have, like I'm sure many outlouders and you both, been reading the news this week about the inquest that's going on in Queensland into the murder of Hannah Clark and her three small children. Um, her daughters who are six and four and her little boy who is three by her estranged husband. Now, everyone is familiar with this story. It happened in 2020 and it was horrific. He um, set fire to their car in a busy street in suburban Brisbane in February of that year. And the inquest is playing out at the moment. And there are some absolutely devastating things coming out of the inquest. I'm not going to go into them in detail, but the most devastating of all of them is the inevitability of what happened. Overwhelmingly, friends and family and Hannah herself knew that something terrible was going to happen. They told police something terrible was going to happen. They spoke to each other about it. And yet it could not 
be stopped. It was revealed this week that 29 out of the 39 lethality indicators, so the markers of the fact that an abusive partner is about to turn murderous, there are kind of indicators for that, like boxes that can be ticked. It's not that simple, but, you know, behaviors that happen and actions that happen. Mm -hmm. And he had shown almost all of them, and yet he could not be stopped. Now, I'm not an expert in this field. I don't pretend to know what the answer is to what you can do to restrain and contain a man who is hell-bent on doing something so unimaginable before he does it. Because as the police have said this week, we don't have a crystal ball. We wish we could. And as Hannah's friends and family said, they'd said, please stop him. And the police had said, we can't. We can't stop him until he does something. And one of Hannah's friends heartbreakingly said, but what if that's too late? What if there's no coming back? I don't know what the answers are, but I feel like every smart brain in this entire field should be focused on figuring out what some of these answers are because this keeps happening. We know the stats in Australia and around the world and we have to do better for women like Hannah. My best, completely different and very selfish, is that I finished my book for the second time. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we can celebrate it twice. The book that I'm writing, not the book that I'm reading, which I still haven't finished, but (laughs) I finished my book for the second time on uh, Tuesday night. I press send on the edits. Anyone who, who doesn't know about books, the way it works is you send off your first draft and you go, oh, it's finished, right? <laughs> and then your very clever editors, publishers come back and go, finished? Yes, finished, you say. But there's this little bit here that would make more sense if, and I don't really understand the motivation if, and why doesn't there? And it's great. It's feedback that I, is welcome and I love it. But I'm just going to say it. I'm, it's not. A, I don't want a tiny violin. I don't want um, a medal. But I have been working so fucking hard. Like I have been working mm. so hard on that. Well, obviously, my job at Mamma Mia, which mm. I adore, I work very hard at. I've been cramming every other hour of the day with the book. And the, you've launched a new podcast. Yeah, and the uh, the thought that this weekend I might have a few hours that I do not have to cram with that is my best. It's liberating. Who knows what I might do. Jesse, you have a recommendation for us before we go today. I do, and it's from the before times when I went to a musical a few weeks ago. I've been busting to recommend this with my sister and my cousin Simon, and it is 9 to 5, the musical, which we have been waiting for for years. Simon is obsessed with Dolly Parton and had seen this. And why, how could you not how be? How could you not I mean, be? Honestly. It's so fun. And basically the cast is just, it had just come to Sydney when we went and saw it. And the cast includes like Casey Donovan, who is outstanding, Marina Pryor, Mm. Eddie Perfect. It's hilarious. All the greats. It is ridiculous. Great night out. We were there with a bunch of people. It was, sometimes you go to a musical and I see a lot of musicals and I'm very much led by Simon and I don't know, it ebbs and flows and sometimes I get a little bit bored and I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know this song, whatever. This wasn't that. I was so entertained the entire time and we walked out and we got in the car and Simon can hold his cards a little close to his chest. Like he's not going to tell you when something is like his favourite necessarily. He mm. has been calling me 
<laughs> most nights saying we go to nine to five again like he wants to go again um he's not understanding that I'm quite limited in what activity I can do at the moment in your mobility yes so he keeps walk he keeps um calling and saying you you walking much no I'm not walking much um but <laughs> oh, he Tom. really maybe I'll take Simon because I really want to go and oh. see it because I'm interviewing Casey Donovan oh. For no filter. She is just. Um, I've wanted to do her for so long and she's so incredible and I've heard that she's just an absolute standout. Yep. What icons, Marina Pryor and Eddie Perth. It's so good. And so if you are in Sydney, you can still get tickets. So grab tickets um, before it uh and I think up. then it's touring. It is. It's going to Melbourne or Brisbane. Brisbane or yeah. and Melbourne. And you can get tickets at 9to5themusical.com.au. Check it out. It's brilliant. That's all we've got time for today. I am off to eat my favourite chicken wrap, which is my Friday treat. But thank you for listening to this episode of On Mirror Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. We'll see you on Monday. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Nobody, 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 nobody speaks to me like Mamma Mia.